let's get uh, into the word and we are in Galatians, Galatians chapter 6 and to do a little bit of a recap in Galatians chapter 6, I'm not going to do the whole chapter, I'm just going to do first 10 verses. Uh, we have been talking primarily about the situation that Peter uh, created by sitting with the Jews, uh, with, the, with the Gentiles first and then he gets up and goes and sits with the Jews. This became a big issue not because of what he was doing, but what could come out of a simple thing like that, what could be communicated by his actions. Many of us don't take our actions seriously. We don't take our actions seriously. We don't think it's as meaningful. We don't, we don't give it enough weight. Sometimes uh, our, our, just our, our, our behavior, our words, the people we hang out with, our Instagram posts, our, our photographs, uh, our poses, uh, we don't think much of it. We just, we, we think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's light, lighthearted. We don't think there's, but whatever we do, as those who represent the body of Christ, the, the, the Lord Jesus, everything we do matters. Everything we do matters. Our actions matter. They, they have meaning. And uh, our lifestyle matters. So Paul was willing to confront Peter on this simple small situation situation and this choice he made and he wanted him to understand that this is the tangent he was choosing which could take you off a terrible terrible uh, digression on from the theology or from the truth of what we have come to believe and what is that that justification is by faith alone not by law not by keeping rules not by saying that you go to church regularly or having a particular format of ritualism or format of ceremony that's not what makes you spiritual nothing external makes you righteous or spiritual god does that on the inside out it is the work of christ it is the atoning legal work of christ where he stands in the court of heaven and declares you innocent he declares you not guilty God, the Lord Jesus, as your advocate, stands in the court of heaven and declares, as soon as your name comes up, he declares you not guilty. Why? Because of the work of the Lord Jesus on the cross. That's as simple as that. Justification is by faith in the one who died for us and gave himself for us. So Paul, so Paul is like, you know what? I'm going to hammer this until you get it. Those of you who are sneaking away to, to fulfill the law again, or you're putting burdens on other people to do what you yourself can't do. And we've been through this entire thing. So those of you who've missed the previous messages, they're all online. They're on my app. They're on the website. You could go back and listen to all of that. So when he's finished with all of that, he now comes to chapter 6. And he begins, the word, begins with the word brothers. He begins with the word brothers. Now when you think about that, he's talking to believers. He's talking to the family of faith. He's talking to the church. He's saying those of you who are in Christ, he's not talking to unbelievers. He's not talking to those who don't have the capacity to do what he's saying. The capacity of believers comes from Christ. Anything that Christ commands of you, anything he wants of you, don't sit there in your chair, in your sofa thinking, oh Lord, one more thing I have to do. How am I going to do this? This is not me. It doesn't come natural to me. No, it doesn't. The capacity of a believer comes from Christ himself. It comes from the spirit of God. So he says, brothers, if any of you is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. You know what he's talking about here? He's talking about a burden free community. 
in these 10 verses, he's talking about a burden-free community. He's talking about how you could be, we could be part of a community where, where you feel light, where you feel unburdened, where you feel carried, where you feel supported. That's what the church is. That's what the church is meant to be. So we're coming back to the behavior of believers here. Not the law of the, of, of the righteous, but the behavior of believers here in this last chapter. So he says, brothers, if, because it's going to happen, it's highly plausible. If anyone is caught in any transgression, what does transgression mean? There are two words. There's the word iniquity and there's the word transgression. Um, the, the word has been translated in both ways, where especially in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our iniquities or forgive us, forgive us our transgressions or forgive, forgive us our debts. Those words have been used interchangeably. But the truth of the matter is there are two words here. The word transgress is when there is a certain boundary and you're supposed to live within that, walk within that, stay within that boundary. And then you cross the boundary. When you cross over and you become what you're not, when you act what you're not, when you go across the line, when you cross the line, we use all these phrases. So he says, when you transgress, when you cross the line, that's a transgression. Iniquity is when you break a law. Iniquity is when you disobey, when you violate a covenant, when you break faith with God. That's a lot more serious. That's a lot more serious. So he's talking about two levels here. One is this deep sin, which comes usually from unbelievers who are acting against God. But believers are now with God. Believers are in sync with God. Believers are, uh, are uh, well, we assume that believers are in submission to Christ. So do you still sin? Do believers sin? Do those who love Jesus sin? Absolutely. We have been given boundaries. We have been given parameters within which we need to live our lives. And we often transgress those parameters. Often, every day, we break the rules. We cross the lines. And that's called a transgression. So he's saying, brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, caught crossing the line, caught being out of, out of, uh, out of character, out of character with the Lord Jesus Christ, what should you do? Here's what an unburdened, free community does a burden-free community here's what it is you who are spiritual in another translation it says those of you who are mature so the question is who's a, who are spiritual people who are mature people you who are spiritual should restore circle restore you should restore him in a underlined spirit of gentleness so that means in the body of faith in the in the family of christ there are going to be people who sin people who transgress people who fail and the job the work the character of the believers the character of the body of christ is to be this ever supportive keeping within the borderlines helping us stay within the borderlines we're not talking about thwarting fun we're talking about helping people unburden themselves from guilt you who are spiritual so that means there should be an army, there should be a group, there should be a, 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 a lot of people who are like spiritual mentors. They are like spiritual giants in, in, in the community. And I'll, I, I'll nuance that in just a bit, but there need to be people who are looking out, looking out for others. Why? Because if anyone is caught in a trouble, it is going to happen. 
It's plausible. You are going to fail. I'm going to fail. But when that happens, it's not about getting kicked out of the church. It's not about getting kicked out of God's community. It's that those who are spiritual have an opportunity at this time to restore in a spirit of gentleness, in a spirit of gentleness. Why? Because God has already paid for sin. God has already paid for sin. Sin is already covered. So this is not a matter of confronting and become and coming to uh, terms with sin. This is about pulling people back onto the right track. Look at that beautiful word, restore him, restore him. You know what restore means on the computer when you have a restore uh, setting, you bring things back to the last time when it was all working. You bring things back to the last time when it was working properly. You restore it to a time when the settings were correct. So if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, if you see people crossing the line in their behavior, in their walk, in their talk, it is our it is our obligation. It is our joy. It is our responsibility to ensure that the sheep stay within the fold. The sheep stay within the parameters of our lifestyle that are in character with Christ. You who are spiritual, you need to take up this responsibility, but in a spirit of gentleness, small spirit, small s, small s. This is, an, this is a nature, in a nature, in a mood of, in, the, in a spirit of gentleness, softly. That means we're dealing with a person who is gentle. We're dealing with a person who's a child, who's growing in their faith. There is a way to correct. So the issue is not whether to correct or not, but the issue is how to correct. How do you correct people? Many parents are foolish. Many, many teachers are foolish. And when I say foolish, I mean uh, deliberately ignorant. We correct our children. We correct our wards. We correct our students. But we want to point out wrong more than we want to bring them back onto the right way. I don't know if you agree with me on this. We seem to be more vested in pointing out what's wrong than being vested in bringing them back to what's right. So I ask the question, in your parenting, in your mentoring, in your discipling, are you more interested in condemning the believer, the child, or are you more interested in restoring back to working condition? Are you more interested in seeing change, bringing about transformation? A teacher is what the student does. Teaching is what the student does. If the student doesn't do what the teacher is teaching, the teacher hasn't taught. Now, before I confuse you, let me go back to what we're talking about. The truth of the matter is that if my son doesn't change his behavior, see the error in his behavior and have the will and the motivation from the love of the father and the correction of the father, to change his life and to modify his life to stay within the parameters of his character in Christ. If he does not desire and then make the necessary changes, then it doesn't matter how many times I've screamed out how wrong he is. I'm going to repeat that. It doesn't matter how much I've screamed out what wrong he is. Husbands, you can keep telling your wives about how wrong they are. Wives, you can sing and shout and gloat and nag about how wrong your husband is. 
But if you are actually a loving person, and if we are actually a loving, supportive community that is unburdening each other, then we need to want transformation, not just desire condemnation. Condemning is easy. Finding fault is easy. Pointing fingers is very easy. See, fingers, they were made to point. They just point, 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 point. Very easy to point. But it's hard to pick up. It's hard to, 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 to lift up, to, to, to support. That's harder. So if any of you is caught in a transgression, those of you who are spiritual, those of you who are mature, bring that person back in a spirit of uh, gentleness. So circle important words here. The word restore him. Restore him. It's your responsibility. If you see the sin, it becomes your responsibility. Don't talk about it. Don't tweet about it. Don't gossip about it. Don't snitch to the leaders about it. You, if you think you're so spiritual, if you think that you have the eyes to identify sin in somebody's life, then you need to have the hands to support them and lift them out of that transgression. With everything that, this, that Paul says here in Galatians 6, he also adds a caution. Because whenever we're doing something that comes across either self-righteous or comes across as authoritative or comes across as spiritually uh, superior, it, because it comes across like that, doesn't it? If I'm going to correct you in your sin, it does come across self-righteous. It does come across as if I'm, I'm showing some authority over you. Now, the truth is I do have authority over you. Every believer has authority over the other believer. Every believer has the right to speak into the life of every other believer if they consider them spiritual. But with every responsibility comes a caution. With every responsibility, with every privilege comes a caution. So the caution here is, but keep watch upon yourselves. Verse 6, keep watch upon yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Lest you too be tempted. See, temptation always follows holiness. Whenever you try to be holy in an area or when you try to do what's right in somebody else's life, you uh, uh, or help somebody do what's right in their life, you will be hit with temptation. So you need to be watchful that the moment you are helping somebody else in out of a sin, uh, you're going to be hit with sin. Don't say Satan, Satan and all. Satan is not involved. Your flesh is enough. Your flesh is more than enough to tell you, okay, now you've told them what is wrong. Now you can do a little bit wrong yourself. Keep watch upon yourself, lest you too be tempted. So with every responsibility comes uh, caution. Verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens. And so in this way, fulfill the law of Christ. Now Paul is bringing the argument full circle. He began with saying, those of you who live by the law, you'll also die by the law. Those of you who want to go back to the law, you have severed yourself, you have severed yourself from Christ. You have disconnected, you have circumcised yourself away from Christ. He said he made that point loud and clear. And now with that law, the law of the Father, he now moves to the law of the Son. From the law of God the Father to the law of Christ. You see, the law of God the Father was meant to bring you close to Jesus. 
The law of God the Father was meant to show you your wrong and bring you close to Jesus. The law of Christ is meant to bring you close to believers. The law of Christ is meant to show you your wrong and bring you close to believers. So he says, keep a watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. Then he says, bear one another's burdens. Bear one another. What is the burden? He's not talking about baggage or luggage. He's not talking about helping people shift homes or help them with their groceries up the stairs. He's not talking about those burdens. He's talking about the burden of guilt, the burden of staying faithful, the burden of being righteous, the burden of, of, of those coming in tired and weary into the body of Christ. Jesus said, so, said over and over again, he says, if anyone is burdened, if anyone is weary, come to me and I will alleviate that burden. That's what the church is supposed to be. People hungry, tired, people who are just misguided, people who have been let down a hundred times, people who have tried everything and have failed at that. They have lost hope. They come to the church not to be told they're sinful and they're going to hell. They come to the church to be introduced to the Lord Jesus so that he may lift them up and they place their faith in Jesus and Jesus will do the rest. Bear one another's burdens, one another. You know that there are 28 one another's in the Bible? This is one of them. Bear one another's burdens. That means when I bear your burden, you bear mine. What is my burden? The burden of guilt. What is my burden? The burden of, of, of maintaining a witness for Jesus. What is my burden? The burden of balancing my spiritual life with my earthly life. My flesh with my spirit. It's a burden. Help one another. Encourage one another. Build one another up. Be a community that is always lifting up, not tearing down. Be a community that's always lifting up and not tearing down. And how do we do this, my dear brothers and sisters? Through our words. We do it through our words. We through, do it through our actions. How are we condemning? How are we uh, uh, self-righteous? How are we, um, you know, uh, how are we condemning? Again, with our words. With our words. If you're already, always finding fault with people, that's condemnation. If you're always saying about how people can could be if they uh, leaned on Christ, that's encouraging. Bear one another's burdens and so in that way fulfill the law of Christ. The law of Christ is the law of love. It doesn't work. Condemnation doesn't work with the law of Christ. Again, a caution. Again, a caution. Note the caution in verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something, go back to verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. One another's burdens. Go back to verse 3. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing. Go back to verse 2. Bear one another's burdens. Go back to verse 3. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing. He deceives himself. What's he saying here? He says you also need help. You need people to carry you. You need people to forgive you. You need people to hold you back and bring you back when you have transgressed. You need someone to watch out for you in your life. You need someone to, to, to speak truth into your life. And it may not hurt. It may not uh, be pleasant at the time. It may hurt at the moment. But you need somebody to watch before you step over the cliff, uh, the crevice, and you fall over. You need someone watching over your spiritual life. Because the burden of guilt is more greater burden than anything else. So watch out for yourself. If anyone thinks he is something, as if you don't need any help, as if you can handle your spiritual life on your own, he receives himself. But let each one test his own work 
and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. What is he talking about? Suddenly he seems to be contradicting himself, but this is only apparent. What he's saying is, you examine yourself. You constantly check your own weaknesses and your own strengths. Your own weaknesses and your own strengths. Everybody's a 10 on 10 in something and everybody's a 1 on 10 in something. Everybody succeeds at some things and everybody and the same people fail at other things. Nobody fails, fails at everything and nobody succeeds at everything. We all need each other. So where I am strong and you are weak, I help you. Where I am weak and you are strong, I hold on to you. Does this make sense? I'm going to say it again. We need each other because you are strong in the areas I am weak. I am strong in the areas you are weak. And when I bear, when we bear one another's burdens, we are both strong in all the areas. Sometimes I'm strong on my own. And sometimes I'm strong because I have you. Sometimes you're strong on your own and sometimes you're strong because you have me. And we should be a community where you can count on me and I can count on you. We should be a community where if you came to know my sin, you came to know my transgression. I know for a fact that you won't condemn me, but you will bear me up. You'll help me. You'll strengthen me. You'll, <coughs> you'll restore me. How important it is for us to be a, a community that is unburdened, a community that is free from burdens. And this is what Paul is talking about over here. He moves into verse three. He says, if you're something and you think you're not, uh, when you're nothing, you deceive yourself. So there's a caution. Let's quickly move into the next part. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Again, there should be no financial burdens, especially those who are pastors, those who are teachers, those who teach the word of God. If someone teaches you God's word, then their other needs should be met by you. If they are meeting your spiritual needs, you should meet their physical needs. If they are looking after one area of your life, you need to look after another area of their life. There is a responsibility of God's community to feed and look after those who are teaching the word. Let the one who is taught the word, that's you, share all good things with the one who teaches. Don't compare. Don't uh, be jealous. Don't desire less or more. In our land, in, in India, we have a Hindu mindset that those who are in full-time ministry should be poor. Those who have separated themselves to God's work, they should be poor. They should give themselves to a life of, uh, what's that big word? You know, uh, simplicity. And they should have nothing. Poverty should be their humility. They should be humil humble in their poverty. And they are not out in the world making money or they're not in the jobs making money. They've given their lives to the work of God. That's a hermetic, hermetic mindset. It is not Christian. It is not biblical. Even in the monastery, uh, in the Catholic and the Buddhist and the other uh, setups, that concept is there. Now, is that concept wrong? No. If somebody wants to leave the pleasures and the opulence of the world and the rat race of earning money and they want to go into a life of simplicity, hallelujah, fine, go for it. Let that, let that be the case. But to think that full-time workers, evangelists, pastors, teachers of the church should live 
in the lowest, most simplest form of life. That's not coming from the Bible. That's coming from other religions around that you have been influenced by. So the Bible here teaches and not just this. A lot of other scriptures support this. That the one who teaches, let the one who's taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. All good things. We're not talking about money only. Share all good things with the one who teaches. So let us be careful about that. Let us be careful. In fact, verse 7 says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Don't receive, be deceived. God is not mocked. When For whatever you sow, you will reap. Now that's the principle. For whatever you sow, you will reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh, don't forget we are still in verse 6. This is a continuation of verse 6. He has not forgotten verse 6. For the one who sows to his own flesh, that's his own carnal life, will reap what is from his carnal life. It'll reap. He's going to leave it back with him. When he dies and goes to heaven, he's going to leave everything back. He's going to find it crumbling between his fingers. He's going to find all his hard work crumbling between his fingers. But when he gives to God, when he gives to God's people, when he gives to those who are working for God's work, he makes it spiritual. He sows to the spirit. So if anyone, anyone who sows to his own flesh, he will in the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit, capital S, will from the spirit, capital S, reap eternal life. So you're not giving to the pastor. You're not giving to the evangelist. You're not just giving to the full-time worker. You're giving to the spirit. When you invest in spiritual ministry, you are served by the spiritual ministry of the spirit of God. When you invest in a, in a physical ministry or a physical work or, a, or, a, or the carnal in the flesh, then you are served by what the flesh gives. And what is the problem with what the flesh gives? It corrupts and decays. It corrupts and decays. So you have to go out and get more and more and more and more and more. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap corruption with the flesh. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Underline it and believe it. Underline it and believe it. The one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. Say to God, God, this is your word. If it's your word, it's either the whole truth or nothing at all. And if it is the truth, is my life aligned to this truth? Okay, so here's the problem. This is an issue of sowing and reaping. And when you talk about sowing and reaping, we're talking about harvest and seed. And when we talk about harvest and seed, we're talking about seasons and timings. So in verse 9, he says, let us not grow weird. Uh, sorry, sorry, not weird. Grow weary. Let us not grow weary in doing good. Let us not grow weary in doing good. No, why on earth would I grow weary in doing good? Why would I grow weary? Why would I get tired of doing good? Because, I'll tell you, listen carefully. Because when you do good, it takes a very long time to come full circle. And you believe in karma. That's your faith. You believe that what goes around comes around. Because your life is going around in circles, you think karma also is going around in circles. So, according to your faith, apparently, when you do wrong, you are expected to come around, so you, you live with guilt. When you do good, that also you expect it to quickly come around to you only. Because you believe in karma. Because what you give must come back to you, apparently. So he says, let us not grow weary in doing good for in due season, underline, for in due season, 
we will reap. We will reap if we do not give up. We give up. We grow tired because we don't see the good things we do. That is sowing to the spirit. Sowing to the spirit. A word to the wise is sufficient. We don't see sowing to the spirit, which is a good thing. Come back quickly enough. Our spiritual ministry doesn't seem to benefit us immediately. Our giving to church, our giving to, to pastors and to uh, full-time workers and to evangelists, it doesn't seem to come back quickly. God doesn't seem to respond quickly to the good that I do. The bad that I do comes very quickly, but the good that I do takes forever. That's why he says, don't grow weary in, uh, in doing good. Because in the right time, in the due season, we do not give up. Let me tell you a principle from scripture. God doesn't want to give back to you the good that you're doing, the reward for your good. God doesn't want to give back to you in this life. Ay-yay-yo. Because your karma told you it has to come back in this life. Or at least the next life. But God wants to give it to you in heaven. I'll tell you three reasons why he wants to give everything to you. And that's why the good is not coming back to you quickly. And that's why you should not grow weary in doing good. And that's why you should stay focused on Jesus and stay focused on why you're giving, not how much you're giving. Three reasons. Number one, off the top of my head, this is not even in my notes, is because God is the one who gives. And God has stopped giving to earth. God has stopped giving to earth. Because the earth is cursed. Creation right now is under the grip of sin. Romans chapter 8. And is groaning and waiting for the emancipation. Groaning and waiting for the salvation. That creation will be saved and renewed. After the renewal of that which is made in the image of man. That's you and me. So God is not going to invest. God is not going to reward. God is not going to give into a bank that's going bankrupt. God is not going to give into a creation that is cursed. God is not going to give into earth in which he plans to fold it up and chuck it and burn it up. So number one, because God is giving. Number two, because what God is giving. The things that God is giving in reward for your good and for your investment is eternal. Therefore, it must stay in heaven. It must stay in heaven. It must be heavenly. It must be eternal. So the only time you're going to get it, possess it, live it, use it, love it is when you get to heaven. So you have to ask yourself, are you going to heaven? Second is, if you're going to heaven, do you have a treasure in heaven waiting for you? If you don't have a treasure in heaven and waiting for you, why would you, be, why would you be looking forward to going to heaven? And if you're not going to heaven, then why on earth would you invest in a treasure in heaven? So secondly, God is going to invest in things and he's going to keep your reward in heaven because it does, it's a place where moth and uh, rust don't decay. And the third reason is because your name is there. Your name is on the Lamb's book of life. Your name is in the rolls. Your name is nowhere on earth. When you go to the ground, you will corrode and you will finish and there will be nothing left of you. Everything that you are and everything you have is going to disintegrate. If you get buried, it will take a few months. If you are incinerated, it will take eight minutes. Eight minutes to destroy every last personality of yours. 
So your name is not written on earth. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life in heaven. So your legacy and your inheritance is in heaven. Now, if you don't believe that, why would you invest in it? So the third reason God is keeping your reward for you in heaven is because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. He says, I'm going to come again. I'm going to receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be also. I have a place for you. I'm coming back to get you. If I don't have a place for you, I wouldn't tell you this. But I'm coming back to get you because there's a place for you. So I want you to come and be with me so that you are where I am, where my father is. My brothers and sisters, doing good on earth, bearing with one another, giving to the Lord's work, all is tied into your belief of whether you're going to heaven or not. Whether you plan to live in eternity or not. If you're not one of those, but you're more one of the type of believers that your whole life is about this world, your work is about this world, your idea of blessing and, and reward is in this world. Firstly, you're not a Christian by theology. Secondly, you have nothing to look forward to. It's all tied into whether you're going to heaven. And if you are a believer whose heart is tied around the eternal uh, purposes of God for your life, and you're longing to get to heaven because your treasure is in heaven and Christ is in heaven. And the name is written in the Lamb's book of life and your, your legacy is wrapped up in heaven. And you yourself are hidden in Christ in heaven. Colossians chapter 3 verse 1, 2 and 3. Then your whole perspective on this life becomes very, very trivial. It just becomes very small, very meaningless. You just you, you, you hold on to this life loosely. You're willing to give away. You're willing to let go much more easily. And you know what most? You're willing to forgive most easily. See, we are, a we are a community that's unburdened because we are planning to go to heaven. We are a, we are a community that's, uh, that lifts each other's burden because we know that this is just a refugee camp. We're just here for the moment. Our life is in God. Our, our future is in heaven. And we as a community are going to heaven. So who would we help most? Who will we invest in most? The household of faith. Verse 10. Verse 10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. To everyone, sure. And especially those to whom are the household of faith. Especially to those who are of the household of faith. Your commitment to your church is evidence of your belief in eternity. Your commitment to the believers in your church is evidence that you are going to heaven. And if you're not going to heaven, why would you invest in it? If you're not going to heaven, why, will, why would you invest in the relationships of the people who are going with you to heaven? If you're not going to heaven, why bother with doing good? I'm going to read the entire passage again. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That's unburdening each other from guilt. Keep watch over yourself, lest you to be tempted. That's the caution. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's the unburdening each other of loneliness. We are a community. We are there for each other. If anyone is, thinks he is something, but he's nothing, he deceives himself. That's a caution. So let him test himself. Let him find and bear his own load. Because everybody's a 10 on 10 in something and a 1 on 10 in something else. Let the one who is taught the word <coughs> share all good things with the one who teaches. That's a community that unburdens the shepherds. 
a community that unburdens the shepherds. Here's a caution. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. He's watching where you sow. Depending where you sow, he knows whether your life is invested in heaven or it's vested in, her, in earth. So then we have the opportunity to do good. So let's do good to everyone. That's a community that's serving the community out, outside of it. It's a community that doesn't just exist for itself, but it serves the community outside of it. But it doesn't forget its own. But it doesn't forget its own. Especially to those who have the household of faith. It doesn't forget its own. Brothers and sisters, as we conclude the, the, the book of Galatians, allow me to read the rest of the verses. See, Paul says, with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. This is because Paul was getting blind. He was about to die. And everything was becoming bigger and bigger. And he's saying how, how I'm, having, I'm having to write because of how old and how uh, aged I am. And I'm in prison and I can't see and it's dark. It's those who, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. He's going back to Paul, Peter's problem. Only in order that you may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. So how, what right have they to tell others to keep the law? But far be it from me, verse 14, to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. I repeat, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. By which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I'm done with the world. I am crucified to the world. The world is crucified to me. For neither circumcision counts for anything or uncircumcision counts. But a new creation. A new creation. Underline. Highlight. Think about it. That's all that matters. The new creation. Am I investing in the new, in the new creation? And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. And upon the Israel of God. For now, and from now on, let us not let no one cause me any trouble. I'm done. I'm out. Time out. Mic drop. For I bear in my body the marks of Christ. For I bear in my body the marks of Christ. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. <clears throat> and that's Galatians wrapped up. It's been a wonderful time teaching you through Galatians and I trust that you have learned much <clears throat> and I trust that what you have learned you will pass on to others with every head bowed and every eye closed would you say something to Jesus from all that you've learned from Galatians and especially this past few minutes would you say something back to God tell him how you feel tell him what you've learned make this personal make this permanent Thank you, Father God, for what you have taught us. Thank you, Lord, for this word. Thank you for the book of Galatians and for the richness of this book. Lord, let the seed not be eaten up. Let the seed not be choked. Let the seed not be scattered. But let it drop deep into the soil where the Spirit will water the soil. And the word the seed will bear fruit in our lives. Father God, you convinced me not to dwell on people's needs, but to feed them your seed, your word, and you would do the rest. It's hard to preach messages that are not immediately relevant to people's lives. But, oh God, I trust you and I trust your word. 
it is the truth and i'd rather give people the truth than give them a temporary relief from their stresses so lord as the seed bears fruit grow your people in maturity and depth make us a community that is supportive make make us a community that's unburdened a community that is that welcomes people who are heavy laden and lightens people who have burdens make us a community that's not condemning but that is forgiving allow us to be the light and salt here on earth so people would know what it's like for god to be lord in our life for jesus to be all in our life make us that community i can't wait to shoulder to shoulder stand shoulder to shoulder with your people and worship you and to scream your name out and to sing your praise i can't wait to make a joyful noise unto the lord and to meet and hug and 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 share the wealth we have in you i look forward to that lord and we all father need each other but more than a meeting we need maturity so lord grow us grow us in the grace of our lord jesus christ the love of god the father fellowship of the holy spirit rest and abide with each and every one of us through this week and even forever more Jeremy Dawson and if you liked what you just saw if it was a blessing then hit the subscribe button come on you can do it hit the subscribe button uh hit the bell so that we know you want to hear from us lots of videos coming your way songs worship encouragement come on subscribe let's take this forward and share with somebody you might know write a comment in the section below but let's see you guys again come on subscribe